Hello, and welcome to Simple Pursuit, the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our prayer that you will grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that you will be blessed and challenged as you listen in. Grab your Bible, because here is today's teaching. If you got your Bible, praise God for the Word of God. Take it and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And chapter two, I don't know how often you go looking for humility, not something we often pray for, like patience, God will teach you humility. Probably something though that we should. Most often we'll try to puff ourselves up, look in the mirror in the morning and say, people like you. But often, humility will come and smack us right between the eyes. And when we get a dose of humility, it comes in our time of need. We need humility. We need help from the crucified Messiah. The word of God this morning for you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, And the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray together. Lord, show us the way according to your word, not according to our knowledge our strength, our possessions, our power. 
For before the cross, all of those things are folly and fall away. Father, may the words of our life, the song of our life, sing to your glory and proclaim the wondrous mystery of the cross. What is foolishness and weakness to the world but evidence of those who are being saved of the power of God. Father, may the words of life speak to us, to our hearts today, and glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. One major issue that we face today, especially in the church, is pride, spiritual pride. It leads us to puff up our faith. Look at what we have. Look at all that I've done. Look at what we've done. Look at all that I do. The Greeks that Paul mentions in Corinth had a major issue with his message. Because his message was of a God who would offer himself freely to a weakened humanity. He opened his life up to distress. He opened his, his, his life up to be influenced, if you will, even though it was God's plan all along. He was influenced He opened himself up. He humbled himself to become a man, fully God, fully man all the time. But he he left heaven to become one of us. The Greeks had a problem with any so-called God who would be defeated by weak humanity. A God who would suffer in any way. And so the Christ dying on the cross like a common criminal was unthinkable. That message was foolish. That message was scandalous. Paul had his work cut out for him in Corinth and in writing to this church as he did after the church had already been planted and started. He had his work cut out for him as we have our work cut out for him because we need this same kind of humility to remember that it isn't about us, but rather it is about what Christ has done. We remember how Christ gave his life freely at the cross to pay for our sin. We remember that in our time of help and in our time of need, a constant need, he is the one we turn to, not our philosophy, not our own wisdom, not our strength, not the even American can-do spirit. We turn to the cross. There are two categories of significance that we read about, two categories of people. If you look at verse 18, Paul writes, The word of cross is folly to one, those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. Two categories of significance, the perishing or those who are being saved. Now what Paul is doing, just to give some backstory on this letter, is that Paul is confronting division in the church. Oh, say it ain't so. You mean we won't always get along with each other? (laughs) No, we won't. 
And we usually don't fight over the big stuff. We usually fight over little things that in the big grand scheme of things don't really matter. But here, you've got some that are following Paul and they claim Paul. I follow Paul. Great. You get a chocolate chip cookie. The others are, I follow Apollos. Great, you get a sugar cookie. What do you want for that? That's the point. What, what do you want? They're, they're trying to claim who's got more authority, who's in charge. And Corinth is such a large metropolitan city and so much to offer in the way of religion. I mean, it's like the melting pot where all of these cultures and religions have intersected in one big city. There's all kinds of gods. But Paul specifically brought the gospel into Corinth. He brought it into this city. If you're tracking through Acts, I think that's Acts, somewhere around Acts 19 is when this all takes place. But some of these folks had believed Paul's message, had believed the gospel, and that church began. But they're always going to be a difficult group. You can read through 1st and 2nd Corinthians and find out that there are times where, yes, this is a difficult church. They've got lots of worldliness in them that Paul is trying to work out of them. But these strong divisions are, are, arise in the church. Some are following Apollos, Paul, Peter. Some are saying we follow Christ. And Paul goes on to say, was Paul divided for you? Did Paul, was Paul crucified? Was Apollos cross, uh, crucified? Who was crucified on the cross? That's the one you follow. And so what we find Going into this to finish out his argument, we pick up in verse 18. Remember the word of the cross. Remember who it is that died for you. Remember who it is that gave his life for you. That message that we preach to you, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Category one of significance. Those who are perishing. They haven't perished yet because in Paul's writing, they still have life in them. They still have breath in the heartbeat Today, some of you may be perishing. Yes, you're alive, but you're perishing. Why? Because you haven't trusted in Christ Jesus for the salvation from your sins and to receive that new life that he offers you freely by his grace. Those who are perishing, this message doesn't make any sense. If you've tried to share the gospel through our who's your one time of praying for our one, you may have encountered some of that pushback. This story is ridiculous. The story is foolishness. It sounds weak. But within these two groups of people, the perishing or the saved, Paul is giving this course correction for us. This is why we need this dose of humility is because the church was suffering from a case of pride. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Christ. And it's splitting the church in Corinth. Paul simply is bringing them back. It's not about Paul, Apollos, or Peter, or the Easter bunny. It's about Christ Jesus. Pride in human wisdom. Pride in human strength. But the pride in human wisdom was not something that they saw it in salvation initially. It wasn't that way. They grasped the gospel. They came to faith, true salvation in Christ but as happens in Corinth, they began to let the world creep in and come back. It's just a slow leak. It's a slow fade. It's a seep, if you will. But eventually, enough seeping and the dam is going to break. 
Pride will tear down the church. They had started to emphasize the wisdom of humanity over the gospel, which would always lead them down a dangerous path. And so Paul is simply saying, friend, you have to remember that your wisdom is worthless. Because the wisdom that they were so proud of, the wisdom that they were standing in, opposed the gospel. Can you imagine the church promoting something that actually opposed the gospel that they believed at first? I got books on it, if you ever want to borrow one. Prosperity gospel opposes the true gospel. In fact, anything that's not the true gospel opposes the true gospel. So keeping these two groups in mind, those who are perishing versus those who are being saved, we quickly see the perishing are trusting in their own wisdom, their strength, their goodness, their status, what they've done to get them to the next phase of life. And then you have the saved, those who are being saved, who can only point to the crucified Messiah. Verse 18 really is the runway for takeoff and landing for this whole passage. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to, those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Everything from verse 18 down is Paul flushing that one truth out, correcting the Corinthians and us on how to avoid divisions, how to stay away from pride and selfishness and stay focused on the gospel. For the Corinthians, it was vitally important for us today. It still applies. Here how, here's how it plays out. First, Paul says worldly wisdom, it, worldly wisdom opposes the wisdom of God as it's revealed by the gospel. Worldly wisdom opposes the wisdom of God as it is revealed by the gospel. Again, two categories of people, the perishing and the saved. Who determines which? Which one determines which what? Well, it depends on who you're talking to. I suppose, but the truth is, we know from God's word, according to Paul, the apostle of Christ, those who chase after wisdom of the world are those who are perishing or unbelievers. The Bible agrees with Paul. He is preaching the word of God here. He's preaching the gospel. What is preached? Flowery sermons, funny jokes, great punchlines, prosperity, wealth, and health? No, he's preaching the cross. It's the cross that's foolishness. It's the cross, Paul is saying, that the Greeks and the Jews are struggling with. Why would a Messiah give himself up like that? It just doesn't make any sense. We can tell people, you need, you need Christ to come into your heart and live. But before we get there, the message of the cross has to come first, that the Messiah lived and died and rose again. Verse 19, God had already said his plan in Isaiah through the prophet Isaiah. He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. I love that word. It's fun to say, thwart. Ever met someone who says they have the gift of discernment? Be careful. You might just be discerning according to the world and not the word. God has frustrated the wise. He has frustrated the discerning. So everything you're watching on Fox News or CNN or ESPN or whatever other end you're watching, 
You need to know whatever wisdom they're talking with, God has already thwarted that by the cross. Whatever politician you listen to in this next year, please let this year go by fast. You need to know that all that political stuff they're going to be throwing at us, God's already thwarted that. He did so with the gospel. Those guys that'll be up there and the ladies that'll be spouting off their wisdom of politics and government, that's not going to save you. God's already turned that upside down. And he's done so with the cross. God has frustrated the wise and the discerning. And with some sarcasm in verse 20, Paul, I like Paul because every now and then he uses sarcasm. It's foolishness to those who are perishing the cross. The message of the cross is, is odd. It's, it's off. It's foolishness. It's not a message to be, to be believed. But here he is in verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Maybe a reference to the Egyptian wise man. Where is the scribe, the Assyrians? They were known for that. Where is the debater of Corinth of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? How did God do this? Because the, the, the wise man is a wise guy. The scribe, he's scribbling. He doesn't know. The debater, he's just babbling on. How did God do this? It's because the gospel completely contradicts worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom leaves God out of the equation. Worldly wisdom says man is the solution. The gospel says man is the problem. God is the solution. And when we read the scripture, the cross is the pivotal event of human history. Please let that sink in this week. Please let, on Friday, let that truth sink in. What we reflect on and celebrate on Good Friday was the most pivotal event of human history. It is a great paradox that God and his power is seen in weakness at the cross. And that his wisdom is revealed in the foolishness of what Paul was preaching, which again was the cross. That those who are perishing live according to that sinful human wisdom, and they come to the wrong conclusion. That the message of the cross is wildly mistaken thought. It's an opinion that's unfounded. And yet to those who are being saved, it's the exact opposite. It is the power of God. It is the Holy Spirit calling and wooing and changing hearts. That's the perspective of those being saved. They grasp it as the power of God to bring life from death. And Paul is desperately trying to get us to understand that the way of the cross does not rest in human wisdom. It does not rest in human power. It does not rest in kings and authorities on earth. It is his kingdom, his throne. Nor does it rest on our abilities. I'm reminded of going back over this morning, as often does the songs from my childhood, and it wasn't written in, it was written a long time ago, longer than any of you in here have been alive. The way of the cross leads home. The way of the cross leads home. It is sweet to know as I onward go, the way of the cross leads home. But that message, again, is rejected by wise, discerning, and clever folks. 
but consider the Bible as a whole. This of what God would do turning the wisdom of the wise upside down is not new. It's not new at all. You can go back further than this, this example, but 1 Samuel chapter 16 and 17. Jesse, don't you have any more sons? Is this it? Because God's not spoken to me yet about all of these guys. They're good-looking young men. They're strong. They're brave. Would make a fine king, but God has not. Well, but yeah, Samuel, there's little David out in the field. Bring him in. For God does not look at the outward appearance of a man, but he looks at the heart. You can go back a little bit further. Gideon, fine army, 30,000 soldiers. God's in, the ch- in, God's in charge. He's leading us. We'll never lose. Uh, Gideon, you need to lower the number of troops that you have. All right, let's take it down to 10,000. How does that work for you, God? He gets an update on his device. Text comes in, uh, Gideon, you need to take him to drink water. You still got too many of them. Oh, by the way, here's how you're going to decide. If this dude drinks this way, he's out. This guy drinks this way, he's in. Uh, Let's cut this army by 9,700 so that you're left with 300 men from 30,000. I mean, there's stories like this all over. Well, what about Samson? Oh, he got his strength from the Lord, but he was the strongest man who ever lived. Who gave him his strength? God did. Who took it? God did. Who gave it back? God did. And here's Paul doing the very same thing, but with the gospel. How can humanity find the fix to its biggest problem in the death of an innocent man around AD 33 and in the preaching of that news to the world? Who's going to believe this story? It just doesn't make any sense. In verse 21, the religious leaders didn't gain any insight to God through their wisdom. Yet God used what was preached. He used the gospel to change lives. Well, the Jews wanted signs. They demanded signs. Great. So that's exactly what Jesus did. I mean, they're all captured in the gospels, but it was never enough. They expected the Messiah to deliver them powerfully from the chains of Rome. But when the Messiah was a man on a cross, they thought that he was cursed. They rejected that crucified Messiah. Well, the Greeks, they want beautiful, rational, a beautiful and rational Messiah, well-spoken, high status. But when the crucifixion came, it signified what? It signified the end of a criminal's life. So they rejected the Messiah crucified. It's absurd. A crucified Messiah was a bit of an oxymoron. No, children, I didn't just call you a name. You know what an oxymoron is? Civil war? Awfully good? Bittersweet? My favorite, same difference. You want to start an argument with me? Use that in a sentence around, when I'm around, and I'll, I'll pick a fight with you. And don't you ever call me pretty ugly. <laughs> Crucified Savior. Crucified meant shame, weakness, failure, loss, scandalous. Messiah meant grandeur, strength, savior, success, victory. How could the two go together? They couldn't get over the foolishness of that message. 
But here, the crucified Jesus is the exact expression of God's power and wisdom. Friends, you got to accept the foolishness of this message because it is the power of God to save you. The sign Jews were looking for, they missed. It was the sign of Jonah. Dying on the cross, buried, raised to life. The Christ crucified is a stumbling block in foolishness, they said. Remember, the world rejects the truth of the gospel, but that worldly wisdom is an error. So those who are called, to those who are called, Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. They know, they trust in Christ Jesus because of the Holy Spirit's work. God's grace touched their lives as they trusted Jesus and put their faith in God's plan, that Messiah. That their old standards of judgment had fallen away by the wayside. Only the power of God could change a man's heart and take that heart of stone and put in a new heart of flesh, said Ezekiel. And the weakness of God is stronger than any man's strength. Humanity cannot win over the wages of sin. There is nothing That philosophy, nothing, that politics, nothing that any doctor is ever going to come up with that can overcome the wages of sin and the curse of death. The wisdom of man didn't work, even though still today so many try. Only the gospel of Christ rescues the perishing and delivers the dying. To those who are being saved, they know the reality of its wisdom and its power in Christ Jesus. And because of that, nothing and no one except the crucified yet living Savior and Messiah is exalted. Worldly wisdom says it's foolish to believe in Christ Jesus as the way of salvation. Worldly wisdom says it's foolish to believe in Christ Jesus as the way of salvation. Look at verse 26. Take a look at your neighbor this morning. Go ahead. Look across. Look at them. Take a good long look. Maybe give a nice, warm, Christianly smile at them. If it's your husband, your wife, look nicer. (laughs) We're not a very impressive looking bunch, are we? The truth is, consider your calling. Not many of you are wise, Paul says. Not many of you are powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. The way that's written, perhaps some of them were in that category, but a large majority were not. What of your calling? We have to resist that pride and arrogance by remembering who we are and where we've come from. What of our calling? From a worldly point of view, the Corinthians, they were foolish for believing in Christ as the way of salvation, but they needed that, remember, that reminder of where you came from. This is where humility slaps us upside the head. Paul reminds them, remember where you came from. You weren't wise, you weren't powerful, you weren't noble. And then verse 27, this is why I love Paul. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. 
those but God moments. He puts often in his letters, but God chose. He could have left us. He could have let us go. He could have wiped us out. He could have taken Noah and his family out at the flood too, and we would have never known. But God chose the way of salvation. God chose in his grace and mercy to reach down and help us in our time of need. God chose. That was his sovereign plan. He chose. Ephesians chapter 2 is another moment. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God chose. He could have left us in our foolish wisdom. He could have left us in our selfish strength and our own power. But God chose three times that word is mentioned. God chose what is weak, foolish, to shame the wise and the powerful. He chose what was low and despised in the world to shame them and to bring life into those who would trust him. He chose the exact opposite of what the world would expect. Uneducated, uninfluential, there you go, humility. Those who are looked down on, those who are disdained. And what Paul is urging us to do is to stay low. Exalt Christ always. We stay low. I remember in football, my offensive line coach was forever telling me, Irving, get down. You're standing up, coming out of your stand, like always yelling at me. I'm like, well, coach, man, I'm big. It's hard to get down there. But no matter how big I was, the coach always said, stay low. There's leverage when you're low. I remember a good friend, Tito Hoskins. He was about that tall. He weighed about 155 pounds, and I was this tall and much heavier than I am now. I weighed in about 320 my senior year. Uh, and that dude could always block me no matter what. I could not whoop him in, in scrimmage. Couldn't do it. He had leverage on me. I couldn't get as low as old Tito could go. It was frustrating. There's leverage there. Friends, there's leverage when we stay humble before God. Because the moment that we get to the point where I'll use my knowledge, I'll use my prestige, I'll use my power, my position, my resources, we are attempting then to take God's place. But there's only one God, and so we humble ourselves beneath his mighty hand. James tells us, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. He is the one that will lift you up, church, not yourself. You point to the cross. You stay in the cross. You live in the cross. Proclaim the cross. There's a reason that God does it this way. One is because it's his plan. He chose to. But verse 29, here's the real punchline. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Again, we chase status and power and position, and those who wield such influence in this world will try, but God says, God's word says, they will be brought to nothing. Elon Musk is going to enjoy his Twitter kingdom for a while. George Soros will wield his influence for a time. Trump is going to be Trump, and, and all the others are going to fall in line. But just like so many of our past influences, Lincoln, Roosevelt, Kennedy, Reagan, Washington, Franklin, they'll be pushing up daisies just like the rest of us. And they're going to stand before God on the same ground just like the rest of us. And it is God, through the cross of Christ, the foolishness of what is preached, that has leveled the playing field. And he calls the dead man to life. Oh, blue eyes. Frank Sinatra. He sang it this way. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case for which I'm certain. 
I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each day and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. That's exactly what would be said if a man boasted in the presence of God. But then we cannot boast before God because of God. Church of Corinth, you are in Christ Jesus. You are in Christ Jesus because God chose you. He called you. You responded in faith. Christ Jesus has become to you the wisdom from God. Christ Jesus has become the power from God. So instead of boasting in our wisdom and strength, I did it my way, now we boast in the Lord. That's what our times of worship are, friends. We're boasting in the Lord. We're boasting in Christ Jesus. He did it his way. His way was this, by giving us righteousness, God's gift of a righteous status to a sinful people. Christ Jesus bore our sins on the cross so that we might receive that right standing before God the Father. He gave us sanctification or holiness. That's the purity that comes as we follow Jesus. That purity ought to characterize our daily living, and it ought to grow over the rest of our life as we follow Jesus. And then he offered us and gave us redemption, which is his purchased price. He purchased redemption with his own blood. Paul will write to this very church, you were bought with a price. Friends, we owe to him all glory for every dimension of salvation belongs to him. There's nothing within ourselves that gets us across the finish line. So friends, let us boast in the Lord. Finally, let me, let me finish with this, that worldly wisdom cannot stand up to the gospel because it is, it is the power of God. Worldly wisdom cannot stand up to the gospel because it is the power of God. It is the central message of the gospel, Christ's death and resurrection. That is the power of God. Paul said, I've decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't know a pastor that wouldn't say the same thing. There are some who would love to know lots of other things that have chased after wealth, have chased after bigger churches at the price and the sake of their families and their marriages. Friends, I just want to know. So you keep me to that, please. I want to know, I want you to know only Christ crucified. Paul's weakness was not with words of wisdom by the world standard, not of lofty speech or words of wisdom, but simply a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. Friends, our faith cannot be established on the words of man. It cannot be established on the wisdom of man or the strength of man, but only in the power of God. Please don't ever put your hope or trust or faith in anyone else other than Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Paul wrote, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. This gospel can change lives, not preachers, not teachers, not deacons or prophets or evangelists or worship pastors. It is the gospel that changes lives. And so we must remain always a gospel-centered fellowship of believers. So we commit this morning to walk in humility in light of God's saving power. 
we commit to living that changed life because that power of God has changed us, is changing, and will continue to change our life to look more like Jesus until that day comes. Thank you for listening today. For more information regarding Coastal Oaks Church, like service times, or what to expect upon your visit, go to our website at coastaloakschurch.org. May God bless you in the journey and the simple pursuit of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord.